First Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18. Man, isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? A lot of places we could be, and uh, probably a lot of places worse than this that we deserve to be. Somebody say amen to that. Uh, some of y'all got warrants out for you. Don't try to pretend. But I'm I'm glad you're here tonight, amen. And uh, ain't gonna be long. We're all gonna have warrants out for us, amen. Just for going to church. But uh, I'm glad still we can worship at least at this moment freely. We praise the Lord for that. First Kings chapter number 18, and we were in chapter 19 this morning, and uh, we're gonna back up. And I want to pick up a thought out of chapter number 18 tonight. Really, just I mean, I I, I guess I'm gonna preach a little bit. What I really want to do is exhort you. And draw your attention to a thought that I think rarely gets talked about, but I think that it is prevalent in the life of many believers today. First Kings chapter 18, uh, verse number 38. Now we're beginning sort of at the tail end of this story. Uh, if you're a student of the Bible, you know kind of how this has taken place, how that, uh, the prophets of Baal have met in contest with Elijah on Mount Carmel, and he has built the altar, repaired the altar, prayed, put the, the sacrifice in order, prayed, and ask God to answer and to show who the true God is. And the Bible says in verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. And he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot, and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now let's notice the next, the first two verses of chapter 19. The Bible says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's inerrant and preserved for us and that we can hold it in our hands. We can read it with our eyes. We can hear it in our ears. We can believe on it with our heart. We can obey it with our life. Lord, it's not an abstract thing. It's not just a concept. Uh, it's not just uh, something to debate about in seminaries, but it's a, it's a precious living book that is right before us that we can read and hear your word and learn what your heart and mind is. Let us, Lord, do the reverence to your word tonight that it deserves. And we can best do that, Father. You know this. Uh, we can best do that by being obedient to it, listening to it, hearing and heeding what it has to say. So I pray the Holy Ghost would wield his sword, the word of God, the sword of the Spirit in our hearts, and may it effectively change us into the image of Christ 
May our will be put on the cross. May the will of God be put on the throne. And may you receive glory from what will take place tonight. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. When we read 1 Kings chapter 18, or maybe it would be more appropriate to say it this way, when we read the story that is set before us, and the reason I say it that way is it really it spans more than chapter number 18. It goes back into chapter 17, and really if we want to get the context for what's going on, it goes all the way back even further, all the way back to the uh, grandfather of Ahab and how that the children of Israel had embraced not just the calf worship of Jeroboam uh, in Dan and Bethel, but also the worship of Baal uh, in the kingdom of Israel. And when we consider this story, when we sort of step back and take the, the telescopic view, the, the, the macro view of what's taking place, I think we could maybe say this, that this story in the Word of God is marked by seven significant events. In other words, there are seven things that are noteworthy that we see happening in this story. For instance, uh, the first thing we could say is there was a great disobedience that had taken place in the nation. They had turned their back on the God of Israel and they had begun to serve the God Baal. Now this was uh, really a, a step even further than they had gone before. When they worshipped the golden calves, it was idolatry. There's no question it was idolatry. God judged them for that idolatry when they first fashioned the golden calf when they came out of Egypt. But the great sleight of hand that the devil did in the nation uh, was whenever they presented those golden calves, they said, these be the gods which brought you up out of Egypt. For instance, when they first crafted that golden calf, uh, there when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, uh, the Bible tells us that Aaron proclaimed a fast unto the Lord, unto Jehovah. So we could maybe say this, that the golden calf worship, Brother Ken, it was not pagan worship, but rather it was false worship. In other words, it masqueraded as Bible worship, but it was not Bible worship. But when the children of Israel embraced Baal, they were blatantly, bluntly, openly, proudly availing themselves of pagan worship. The children of Israel had wrought great disobedience in the kingdom. They had flaunted their rebelliousness against God. There was a great disobedience that had taken place. Number two, there was a great drought that had taken place. You can read about this in chapter 17, whenever Elijah, who walks off of the stage of obscurity and onto the pages of Scripture, steps into the office, into the throne room of King Ahab, and he don't come to petition, he don't come to, to make an appeal, he shows up and he declares the word of the Lord. He says to him that it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain by the uh, Lord that liveth, that ruleth over heaven and earth. Uh, it's not going to rain until I say it does. And for a space of three and a half years, it did not rain. It grew so severe that they literally sent out bands of people throughout all the land to try to find out uh, every stream, every creek, uh, every roadside ditch, and every puddle that they could find to try to find something to alleviate them from the judgment of God. Can I just say this? Listen, when the judgment of God is in our life, we can't run from it. We can try to run from it, but God knows where our address is. He will always find us and deal with us 
according to His righteousness. So there was a great drought that had taken place. And then that produced this great desire for rain. They had sought for it. They had searched for it. uh, They had prayed for it. They had looked for it. They had tried to find any way that they could find rain somewhere. Uh, We've got a fellow in the church. Some of y'all might feel weird about this. I don't know. So he ain't here tonight. So uh, just pretend like I didn't say nothing if you see him. Uh, But we've got a fellow in the church that, uh, and I don't know why I can't explain everything around it. You've seen the water witching, right, where people carry around the stick and will point it. Well, I've seen him do it. I I thought about burning him at the stake first time I saw him do it. Freak me out, man. I don't understand it all. But he's saved, got the Holy Ghost in him. I don't think there's anything that's voodoo about it. But I sent him an article the other day. I saw out in California at drought so bad they're hiring water witches to try to find something. I told him, I said, brother, you need to go out there and make a killer, you know. And uh, then people need water bad. You just go out there. They'll hire you. It don't matter. Well, that's sort of the station and situation they were in here in Israel. I mean, it was so bad, they were doing anything they longed for, they desired for, they begged God for some kind of rain to fall on the land. But here was the problem, they still had sin in their life, so God wasn't going to bless them. So we see that there's not only a great desire, but Elijah, at the end of this period of time, he, by the word of the Lord, goes to Ahab and tells him that they need to once and for all decide who they really believe the God of glory in heaven is and that he is happy to meet the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, you say, do you, do you pronounce that Carmel or Carmel? And I always tell folks, I pronounce it Caramel. Caramel, you know. But he uh, he says, we'll meet on Mount Carmel, and there we will have, we could say, a spiritual showdown. He says, we'll get up there, and you build all you false prophets, you build your altar, and you pray, and you cry, and you dance, and you seek your God, and if he answers by fire, Elijah says, I'll tear up my ordination certificate. I'll worship your God. But he says, when you're done, I get my turn. And so for hours they're up there and the prophets of Baal are cutting themselves and crying and singing and dancing. They're performing all manner of ceremony and agony that they can to try to get their false God's attention. You know, the problem was, he want, there wasn't nobody there to listen. He ain't a real God. Amen. I, because you see, it's not the fervor of the devotee, uh, but rather it is the reality of the deity that makes the difference. There's all kinds of folks that are faithful in the worship of a false god, but that won't do them any good because it's not about faith. It's about God, who God is and who He has revealed Himself to be through His Son, Jesus Christ. So they pray, they cry, they weep, but it's all to no avail. Well, by the time they're done, uh, because false religion doesn't build, it destroys uh, Elijah had to come and he had to repair the altar of the Lord. And he comes and he builds back the altar of the Lord. And But he don't want to make it easy on God because he don't want anybody wondering. And so he commands the servants. He says, I want you to dig a trench about this altar. And he says, I want you to take barrels of water and I want you to soak the sacrifice that's on the altar. And he said, after you're done with that, I want you to put so much on it that it, that it pours over and it fills up the ditch and then saturate the ground and then fill the ditch. Why was he doing that? Because he didn't want anybody saying it had spontaneously combusted. You say, preacher, that's silly. Yeah, but that's the human heart. If he hadn't done that, there would have been some old fool out in that crowd would have said, well, maybe his lightning struck it. But Elijah says, no, I want him to know that it was God that answered. And so, with a, sh- a few short uh, phrases, uh, Elijah, because it's not the words, but it's the heart and the honesty before God, he prays and he asks God to answer by fire and to make His presence and power known. And fire falls from heaven and consumes that sacrifice. I'd say this, there was a great disobedience and a great drought and a great desire for rain, but there was a great display of God's mighty power that day. 
Uh, I mean, we to this very day, when we speak of God showing up in our life in dramatic fashion, we'll even say it as a turn of phrase that He hit that fire fell from heaven. He showed up with fire from heaven in that situation. It is synonymous with the idea that God showed up and showed out to make real and plain to His people His power and His existence. Aren't you glad for those moments in our life where, I mean, can't nobody deny it. The ditch is full of water. The sacrifice is saturated. But God showed up and made a difference. I've had times in my life, I didn't go, Charlie, just need a little help. I needed, I'm talking about the sacrifice was drenched help. That's the kind of help I need. I'm talking about I needed like there's a ditch around it with water in it. The kind of, I, I mean, I, I, there's times I've needed the kind of help like, here's an old boy standing here dousing it with a fire extinguisher, but God still lights it ablaze. That kind of help. And I'm glad God can give that kind of help in our life. What did this produce then? There was a great display and that produced a great decision. We read it in our text, but how, do, how does the children of Israel answer? They said, the Lord, He is the God. You know, God does what He does in your life to show you who He is and how He loves you and what He wants to do further in your life. And there was a great decision that had taken place. They said, we're done with these false gods. We recognize the God of the Bible as the true God. Well, then what did they do? Well, I see there was a great destruction that took place after that. The Bible tells us that Elijah takes the prophets of Baal, takes it down by the creek, and slays them. You know why? Because when there's corrupt people that are abusing a nation, that's the only solution. If they're just going to keep doing it, they're going to keep doing it, and that's the only solution. I don't care if that makes you nervous. I'm, I'm preaching Bible. I'm telling the truth tonight. And I'm just telling you, sometimes the only thing left is an extermination. Sometimes the only thing left is to take those that are destroying things and to do away with them. And that's what he does. He didn't come and he didn't apologize that they were the prophets of Baal. He said, as long as we leave these men alive, they're going to keep corrupting our nation. And so he takes them and he slays them and he doesn't apologize for it. He doesn't feel bad for it. Uh, he, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, pay a, a settlement out for it. He just does it. Uh, because it was a service to the nation. There was a great destruction. You say, now preacher, what does that have to do with me? Well, I'd say this, in your life and mine, when God answers in a big way, it ought to produce in us a closer consecration and a deeper commitment to the Lord. It ought to make us say, hey, is there anything in my life that would disappoint or displease the Lord? And you know what that ought to do? It ought to cause us to expel those things from our life. It ought to be that in our life, when we've been living in sin, God has chastened us, God has answered, God has delivered us that we say, I want to take those things that have disappointed, displeased God, and I want to get them out of my life. You say, preacher, how, how sure are you or how quickly should I do that? As quick and as sure as Elijah did. He didn't have a meeting. He didn't take a vote. He said, these guys need to go. And in your life and mine, there's some things we ain't got to pray about. Uh, you ain't got to pray about whether it's the will of God to sin. And you ain't got to pray about whether it's the will of God to get rid of sin. <laughs> it is always the will of God to get rid of sin in your life. There was a great destruction that took place. And then we read of a great deliverance. Now, what was it they wanted? Elijah wants fire from heaven. Elijah wants it to be proved to them that God is real, that the God of, of Israel is the true God. But what was it the people were longing for, Brother Ken? They wanted rain. In our passage that we just read, we see that the Lord gives them rain. Look down at verse 44. The Bible says this, and it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. You know, the rain is symbolic in this context of the blessings of God. They longed for it. 
They prayed for it. They sought for it. They desperately needed it. While there are times that spiritually we identify the idea of a storm as being a negative thing in our life, and, and certainly that's true. I mean, we have storm experiences where our life is thrown into upheaval. In this passage, the storm isn't something that they dreaded. The storm was something they desired. And God says, I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to give you what you begged for. I'm going to give you what you prayed for. But then He gives this warning to Ahab. He says, Ahab, when you get it, be careful with it. Because if you're not, it'll stop you and prevent you. I'll preach to you on this thought tonight that the rain stopped thee not. I really only have about four statements to make. We'll make them real quick and then we'll go fellowship. But can I just frame it this way? There's times that we've sought things from God. We've begged things from God. We've prayed things down from God. And I've seen this in people's life and you probably have too. There have been times when I've seen the very blessings of God become the very pitfalls of their Christian life. I've seen people that, listen, when they, when, uh, when they are struggling, they serve God, but then God blessed them and they forgot about them. I've seen people that when their marriage was about to fall apart, they sought God and begged God and pleaded with God and got close to God and then God fixed their marriage. And all of a sudden, you don't see them anymore. I'd say this, you say, preacher, do you begrudge the rain? No, I don't and you shouldn't either and God doesn't. But we ought to beware of the rain. Because sometimes the goodness of God, the blessings of God in our life can be an avenue for Satan getting a foothold. Why did he say this to Ahab? What was it about the rain that could have stopped him? Well, I made four notes here and I want you to think about them with me. How could the rain, in other words, the blessing of God, be a hindrance to him? Well, number one, I would say this, that it could become a hindrance to him by him ignoring the peril of the rain. Whenever Ahab say, or whenever Elijah says to him, get thee down from the mountain that the rain stop thee not, there's a very practical explanation. I mean, that's not really a mystery to us. What he's saying is, Ahab, if you stay up here, all those pathways, those roads off this mountain are going to get flooded out and you'll find yourself living up on this mountain. Now, Ahab, it's good to be on the mountain. It's a blessing to be on the mountain. The rain came when you were on the mountain. But all your responsibilities and all your effectiveness and all of the lives you touch and change, they're not on this mountain, Ahab. They're down there in the valley. They're down there in Jezreel. And so while it's okay that you're on the mountain, understand you can't live on the mountain because the work of God is done in the valley. I'd say this, that Elijah is is warning Ahab that if he tarried too long staring at the clouds, then the storm would flood his path off the mountain. You know, the blessings of God can become a hindrance when we obsess over and worship them above the Lord. I hope God blesses you so much you don't even know how to talk about it. I'm serious, man. I, I mean, I do. I, I hope whatever your heart's desire is, if it's not sinful, I hope God gives it to you. But I've seen a lot of people, and we could talk particularly about material wealth, where God has blessed families and where God has blessed individuals, and they have then, whether it be a new job, whether it be a raise at a current job, whether it be some pursuit like uh, the building of a house or the starting of a business. And by the way, for each and every one of these things, I could give you names. And you could probably give me names of people that this has happened to. That whenever God blessed them, they then got so focused on that thing, whatever it was, that they forgot about the God that had blessed them in the first place. One of the great uh, pinnacles of Abraham's spiritual development was when he learned to say that the Lord is my inheritance. The Lord is my exceeding great reward. You know what he recognized? That the giver is better than the gift. 
I, I'm not sorry for the gifts God's given me, and I, you ought not be sorry for the gifts God's given you. But understand, the giver's better than the gifts. Understand the purpose of the gift is not to make you love the gift, it's to make you love the giver. Whenever you give gifts to someone, uh, your whole purpose is not to make them fall in love with what you gave them. Your purpose is to make them fall in love with you. <laughs> uh, when you give someone a gift, it's not a token of the awesomeness of that item you've given them, but it's a token of the affection that you have for them. You want them to understand that you love them, that you care about them. So when God gives us things in our life, uh, He's not giving them to us because He just thinks it'd be awesome if we had them. He's given those things to us so that we'll recognize how much we love, how much He loves us and how much He cares for us. I'd say He could have got flooded out on that mountain. And I've seen people like that. I've seen people get, by the blessings of God, flooded out on the high places of life to where they don't never want to go back down and serve God. They don't never, they begrudge the suffering they experience. Uh, they, they grow a victim's complex and feel like every time something goes bad, God must have abandoned them. When at one time they were satisfied to serve God even when it was hard. But then they got, they tasted that mountaintop experience. And then that thing, it just, it got addicted to them. And they, and they just, all they want now, and there's a whole, there's, I've been talking about a whole, uh, a whole contingent of Christianity today that is addicted to this mountaintop experience thing. Listen, I'm glad for the mountains in my life, but you know, and I know it can't always be that way. Uh, there's gonna have to be times, I, listen, he's the God of the mountain, but he's the God of valley too. Why is that? Because sometimes we've got valleys to go through. But if we instead obsessively cling to those good things that God has done in our life, and grow to begrudge God when things are not quite so good as that, what's that going to do? It's going to become a hindrance in our spiritual development. Grow obsessed over the gift as opposed to the giver. Just make sure every good thing that God does in your life, that you recognize that the purpose behind it is so that we might love God more and know more of Him. So the rain could have stopped him if he had ignored the peril of the rain. Number two, he could have been hindered by it, by ignoring the person that gave the rain. And you say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean, you just said you could love the gift above the giver, but I'm even going a step further. Ahab would be hindered by the rain if in his joy and relief at the storm, he neglected to recognize who it was that gave the rain. And in fact, we'd say this, Ahab never even did give God thanks for the rain that God had given. You know, very often, this is the sad truth, but in our lives, God will bless us, and we never even stop to recognize who it was that blessed us. Now, I hope that ain't true of you, but it's true of me. I'm telling on me tonight, and it's true of me. There's times there's times God has given me things that I have expressly prayed for, and I've not given Him the credit for doing what He's done in my life. When that happens, and I'm going to say this again about the next point, but you know all that does is add to our guilt and our responsibility. All that is then, instead of that being a blessing that pointed us to God, it is now an indictment against us that we'll have to answer to God for. A great many people never give thought to who it is that has blessed them in their life. Now, listen carefully. I understand those people who say, well, preacher, I've got what I've got because I've worked for it. I've got the marriage I've got because I've worked for it. I've got the job I've got because I've worked for it. We've got the kids we've got because we've worked for it. And listen, praise the Lord. Bless your heart. That's wonderful. But you know there's people that have done better than you and wound up with less. There's people done better than me and wound up with less. <laughs> I could tell you right now, listen, there's pastors walking around this city that are twice the men I am that are pastoring half the church. I, I ain't got what I've got because I'm somebody, and I ain't got what I've got because I've earned it. I haven't got what I've got because God looked down and said, well, boy, look at that boy on Wall Ridge Road. I mean, he really deserves this. It's all been by the grace and mercy of God. 
And woe is me if I forget who it is that did that in my life. When that happens, now all of a sudden this is something else you are accountable for instead of something that gives God glory through your life. I'd say by ignoring the peril of the rain. He could get flooded out up on top of the mountain. I'd say number two, by ignoring the person that gave the rain. Ignoring that it was God that had answered. I'd say number three, by ignoring the prayer that brought the rain. This is interesting to me. You know, nowhere in this account in 1 Kings 18 are we told that this rain was prayed for. We get a glimpse of it when the Bible says that Elijah put his head between his legs and then told his servant to go and to uh, look for the rain cloud. But it never says Elijah prayed for it. But the book of James tells us that, don't it, Brother Corey? It says in James 5, 17, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. He had expressly prayed that God would give this rain. God answered. God gave the rain. But never once does Ahab say, man, you know prayer works. Never once does he stop and say, can you believe that? That prophet of God went and prayed, and God all the way up in heaven heard, and he answered and gave this because somebody prayed. Can I just give you a little practical piece of counsel? You ought to keep something, whether it's a journal, whether it's a scrap of paper, whether it's a computer file, but you ought to keep a record of things you're praying for. Because if you're like me, there'll be things you ask God for, and He'll give them, and you'll never pause to say, Lord, thank you for answering that prayer. Can I tell you this? Hey, listen, what a waste of an answered prayer that is. Because it ain't about God just giving us stuff. You and I are obsessed with stuff. God is much less impressed with stuff. And God gives us stuff, not so that we can have more stuff. Say, preacher, why are you saying it like that? Because that's a good King James Bible word. Stuff. It is. Look your, look your Bible up. Dig out your concordance from the attic and look at it. Stuff. Stuff. They stuck by the stuff. God gives us that stuff. Man, praise His name for it. But He ain't doing that because we just need more junk. <laughs> we got houses full of junk. He's doing that in our life to grow us and teach us about prayer, about faith, and about His perceptive watch care of our life. He answers those prayers so we know that He loves us and we know something about who He is and what He asks for and what He requires out of our life. Now, what a waste it would have been and was, in fact, in this situation in Ahab's life. And he literally got to see one of the great prayer warriors of the Bible pray and get something from God, and it never dawned on him that prayer had worked. I found most people that don't believe in prayer don't pray. And that's not by accident. Now you're going to say, well, preacher, why would they pray if they don't believe in prayer? But I'd say this, how are they ever going to believe in prayer if they won't pray? If they won't see it take place, how could they believe in prayer? But the more that you pray and the more that you seek God and the more that you deliberately take note of what God has done in answering prayers in your life, you'll find that faith is a muscle. It develops, it strengthens, or it atrophies. And as you see God answering in your life, you'll find that it grows your faith. And you begin to be stronger in believing and trusting God to answer in those situations. I'd say that by ignoring the prayer that brought the rain, Ahab would be hindered if he ignored the fact that Elijah's prayer had called down the rain. God was teaching Ahab about how a real God answers prayer. He had listened, by the way, I promise you, if, if Baal had sent down fire, he would have noticed it. 
But when God answers by fire, He ignores it. You ever, I went to my mailbox the other day. Anybody been getting these Biden bucks? You know what I'm talking about? Government just sends you money. <laughs> and, uh, no, you need to have more kids, Charlie. That's what it is. Adopt six or seven of them. The government just starts sending you money, you know? And I don't even trust it. Like, I, the last one I got, like, I just put it in savings because I expect the government's spending $1.2 billion an hour. They're going to come looking for that money sooner or later. Young families, you might as well just put it in savings, all right? Ain't no such thing as a free lunch. They're going to come looking for that at some point. So I, I just, I just sticking it, you know, I just sticking it in, in, uh, in savings. But I, something I noticed, I remember this controversy when they, when it was Trump bucks and not Biden bucks. And President Trump, he said, I'm going to put my name on the checks. And all the Democrats, this is the worst thing in the world. They'll think, you know, Trump's their daddy or something. So they fought tooth and toenail that he couldn't put his signature. And so here's what he did, because this is Trump, right? He sent you the check. This was back late last year, a million years ago, last year. And he sent you the check. And then he sent a little letter with it that said, this is from President, you know, Donald John Trump. Blah, blah, blah. Well, now Joe Biden's doing the same thing. He's got this little letter because he wants you to know that this came from his personal checking account. He has sent you this money. This is this is a love offering to you from Joe Biden. And you better believe there's people sitting around talking about how good the government is because the government gave them a few hundred dollars or whatever else. Hey, listen, if Baal had answered by fire, you better believe they would have sat up and said, praise Baal. But man, how good has God been in your life? Do you ever sit up and praise God for it? Do you ever take a moment and say, hey, couldn't nobody have done that but God? And I ought to praise Him for what He did. Don't miss the prayer behind what God is doing in your life. When you pray, when you seek God, if it was important enough to pray over, it's important enough to pay attention to. But you've probably done this in your life, and I've done it in mine where I've prayed for things and then let them fall off my prayer list, ignored it, and then God answered. And it was months later when it finally dawned on me. You know, I had prayed for that, and God had answered. And you know what happened in that moment? While it wasn't necessarily an impediment to my prayer life, it sure wasn't a help to it. And answered prayers are not about giving you stuff. Answered prayers are about making you pray more. That's what answered prayers are about. Let me give you a final one. I know you don't believe that. Uh, but, but it's true, so I'm going to say it. Uh, no, oh, I just found three more. Hold on. I'd say by ignoring the prayer that brought the rain, I'd say number four, by ignoring the point behind the rain. In fact, God was seeking to teach Ahab more about himself through his blessing. We can see this from the hand in the cloud. Isn't it interesting when they go, when they see that cloud, it's like a man's hand. Now, I've done it, you've done it, we've all, I guess, laid up, looked at the heavens and seen different signs in it. But the way he says it, I mean, all clouds kind of look like something. If they don't look like nothing else, they look like clouds. But he says, it looks, I see the shape of a man's hand. It was very descript. Now, you know who it is that lines out and paints out the clouds. You know, I mean, that, that's God that controls those things. And uh, And as such, I think the fact that the Holy Ghost gives emphasis to that, he, he notices that. He didn't have to. I mean, Gehazi could have just come back and said, hey, there's a cloud. And that would have been, but he said, I see a cloud like a man's hand. I think God was trying to give the impression that his hand had brought that storm. He was trying to communicate a spiritual truth about it. You know, one of the great ways that the blessings of God can hinder our life. And I know we're all, I know we're preaching around the same thing with all these. But I would say this, when we miss whatever God's trying to teach us through his blessings. Ignoring the point behind the rain. You know what Ahab should have learned? He should have learned that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. 
and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Everything God does in your life has spiritual import. He's not just, and we see this example uh, through the uh, ministry of Christ, the gospel, uh, earthly uh, ministry of Christ. We see that every time He performed a miracle, it was to teach a spiritual truth. Every time He opened blinded eyes, it was to show men that He can give them spiritual sight. When, when, he, when he fixed uh, uh, lame legs, it was to show them that they could walk in a new life if they believe on Him. When, when he, ever he opened uh, ears that were stopped up, it was to show them that the key to truly hearing from God is to hear from Jesus Christ. All these things were given to teach a spiritual truth. That's true in your life with what God's doing too. And I would say this, not just by the way the good things, but the bad things too. Nothing in your life happens by accident. One of the great ways that you can hinder your spiritual development, this is why the Bible says we're to be sober and vigilant. We ought to keep an eye out. We're to look at things through a spiritual prism and forever be asking ourselves, what's God teaching me through this? Ahab didn't ever ask that. He instead said, whoo, rain, glory to God. He didn't even say that. He said, whoo, rain, and just ran on and never got the spiritual truth. Now, here's the last one. I don't think there's any more hiding in here, so don't get nervous. Look down at chapter 19, verse number 1. The Bible says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Isn't that an interesting response from a man that's just been blessed with the thing he's prayed for for three and a half years? Here's what I would have thought would have happened. I would have thought he would have came home, uh, rolled up in the driveway, went running in the house and said, Honey, you'll never believe it. We've been worshiping the wrong God, but now we know who God is. He's answered by fire. He's answered with rain. Let's tear down the temples of Baal and serve Jehovah. That's not what he did. He comes in and he does what Ahab does. He comes in and whines and moans and complains about what God was doing and he gets Jezebel all stirred up and mad and angry, and she commits to kill Elijah. I would say it this way. to preacher, how could the blessings of God hinder me in my life? I'd say by ignoring the proper response to those blessings of God. In other words, when God does that, what should we do? Do we just sit back and sort of uh, glutton ourselves on the goodness of God? No, there's a lot of people who believe that's what we ought to do, but that's not what we ought to do. Do we sit back and, and boast in our own ability? No, some people do that. That's not what we should do. But here's what we should do. We should say, boy, look how good God's been to me. You know, maybe I could be a little better to Him. Look how good God's been to me. Maybe I could be just a little bit better to Him. Maybe I ought to just read His Word a little more. Maybe I ought to pray, talk to Him more. Maybe I ought to be in His house as much as I can. Maybe I ought to serve Him every chance that I get. Maybe I ought to not let these areas of sin uh, come into my life. Maybe I ought to be more consecrated. Maybe I ought to tell somebody about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the proper response. In other words, the proper response to the blessings of God is the consecration of the believer. To draw closer to Him. Can I just ask you this simple question? Is God getting any return on what He's putting in your life? Or is He just pouring and pouring and pouring? And you say, well, preacher, uh, what will He do? He'll probably keep pouring goodness in your life because He's a good God. But how dare we just consume and consume and consume and consume and never stop to say, how can I give more of myself to Him? 
you know what happens as a result of this. Listen, Ahab would be hindered by the rain if instead of humbling himself before God and giving his heart to him, he immediately disregarded God's goodness and continued living in wicked disobedience. Guess which of the two Ahab did? Then the rain would be a witness against his rebellious heart and add to his guilt instead of leading him to repentance and obedience. This is why the Bible says that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Because when a man responds rationally to the goodness of God, it can only produce in him contrition and humility, repentance and obedience. But here, the flesh is irrational. The flesh don't do what makes sense in the eyes and heart and mind of God. The flesh only does that which impulse demands. And as such, the flesh won't respond that way. But that, that old man, he won't give God thanks. But that new man, he wants to thank God. And that new man, if we'll let him have uh, the, the will and way, if we'll let the Holy Ghost have his will and way, you know what he'll do? He will reciprocate God's blessings in our life by a deeper commitment to him. I was telling somebody the other day, one of the things that is that is, thrills me, I mean, I, you know, I, I guess when I started pastoring, I knew it'd be exciting to see folks saved. I knew it'd be exciting to see, you know, folks spiritually put back together when they had been broken in pieces. I knew it'd be thrilling to see the church grow. But one of the things I never really thought about that's been one of the great thrills in my life is to see all families, but particularly young families, that when they put Christ first and honor God, God begins to bless their life. And I've seen that. Now, and you say, well, preacher, don't you like it? When, yeah, I love it when God blesses old people too. But you already know these things. <laughs> You know that. You know if you serve God, it pays off, right? But young people, uh, oftentimes it, it's an eye-opening thing. I mean, who you rather see in a diaper, an old person or a baby? Amen? I'm not saying there's not a place for both, but there's something endearing about seeing youth develop and grow. And so, I, you know, I'm not saying I begrudge when God blesses older people, but I'm saying it's been a thrill to see young people step out in faith do the thing contrary to what this world and their generation has done, and then see God bless them, and then see them grow spiritually as a result of it. The vast majority of the time, that's how I've seen it happen. There's been a time or two when I've seen God bless them, and instead those blessings became a hindrance. The rain stopped them. The rain became what they're all about. Sometimes that rain was money. Sometimes that rain was relationship. Sometimes that rain was recreation. But their whole life became consumed with the gift instead of the giver. And now all of a sudden this rain that was meant to nourish the land and produce blessings has flooded them out and stopped them from living for God. Well, I've seen it happen to older people too, just like I've seen older people grow and seeing God blessing their life. But I'm saying what a danger it is, particularly to young families, to allow those good things in life. You know, when you're young, you're young, you're busy, you're working, you're laboring, you're getting your life figured out and set up and established and all that. And listen, in the midst of all that, don't forget about the good God that's helping you get through all of it. Don't forget about the God that gave you those blessings. And don't ever let those blessings, if you're young, middle-aged or old, don't let those blessings hinder you from serving the Lord. Don't let your life be become about the blessings instead of the blesser, the gifts instead of the giver. Make sure that in all these things, when God blesses you, it is producing in you more commitment to Him, consecration to Him, more spiritual maturity, more devotion unto Him, more spiritual depth, more faith in your life. Because God's not just doing these things to give you a good time in this life. He's doing these things to develop you into the image of Christ. What a waste it'd be if God give us all those things 
We got to heaven and realized all we got was stuff and never got any more spiritual death. Instead, we ought to make sure that the rain is not flooding us, but that it's making us fruitful and growing us to the glory of God. Let's bow together tonight. As a musician comes to play, the altar is open. And if God has stirred your heart about something, you ought to find a place down here. Don't, don't let this moment pass by. If God's dealt with you, come find a place uh, in this altar and let God have His will and way in your heart. Father, bless this invitation. and May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.